Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm having a chat with Virginia Highland, who's the founder of Highland Media and a board director of the Media Federation of Australia. Welcome, Virginia. Thank you, Darren. It's great to be here. Virginia, you've had quite a career already in media, haven't you, from many different perspectives? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, this is a fast-moving industry and um, no two days are the same. So it feels like quite a career, whether you've been in it a week <laughs> or whether you've been in it for 15, 17 years. Well, from you know, agency and media uh, publisher and, you know, and you've seen the changes that have happened certainly in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out in my career at Fairfax, um, working for the Sydney Morning Herald and um, I was very lucky to land into the rivers of gold in the Herald Classified section when I was only 17, um, learning how to cold call on um, uh, warehouses, brick labourers, truckies, <laughs> and um, that really gave me an insight into how they actually um, worked and how they made money um, mm-hmm. and, and how the whole publishing side really um, funded so much of the actual newspaper itself. It really um, amazes me because I often get the feeling from people in agencies, they think of media salespeople as selling media, but my uh, experience has been that they're much more focused on the business success of their clients than they are of just selling the medium. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think with um, sales, you need repeat customers and you need them to come back every single week. And uh, when you deal particularly um, with the likes of a a publication, they can tell very quickly the sales that they were getting or the inquiry rate that they were getting from the advertising that they were running. And so when you called them the next week, you know, they'd give you very strong feedback about whether the, the ad was actually working or not. So Yes, I gave you my $10,000 and I didn't get one phone call. Absolutely, and that's exactly how it went. And so you actually rode the wave, the highs and the lows of working with clients and, and trying to unpick how you could actually make the ad be- work better for them because what you got to see was that some ads work extremely well for certain businesses and other ads didn't. So it was really a matter of then helping to unpick how we could continue to get them to advertise and build success for their business. So so the remuneration model there for the publisher is the more successful the client, the more the client spends and the more money they make, which is very much like the old media commission. You know, for the agency, the more successful the client was, the more they'd invest in uh, media and so therefore the more money that the agency would make. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, with that model also on the publisher side, no one knew what the margins were. So on the media side, everyone understands the margins. But on the publisher side, they really did make money when they Mm. had, you know, great uh, advertising going into their publication. But we haven't had that since, what was it, 95? It was the end of accreditation. And all we've seen since then is this constant downward pressure on uh, not just media costs, but also agency fees as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, you know, we've all played a poor role in, in managing the outcomes of, of the pressure that that's put on the industry. It's um, devalued 
uh, really every part of, of the business from how we pressure the publishing houses to give cheaper rates to how media agencies are remunerated and then, you know, all of this focus on downward cost and pressure means we're really not focusing on the right thing, which is how do we build success for a client's business? Because, mm. uh, you know, it's around the same time, late 80s, mid 90s, where we saw the rise of the holding company as well. You know, suddenly the uh, there was a whole bundle of agencies bought up. Um, and you know they stripped out back-end inefficiencies and started reporting profits to uh, their shareholders. And I think you know that sort of worked against agencies because you know I I know since we've been running um, Trinity P three clients would say oh look you know such and such a holding company earnings up eleven percent or earnings even seven percent you know there was this constant reminder that holding companies are there to make a profit, not necessarily look after their clients. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and and that was really it. How are we going to make more money um, but not have to actually add services? Or how do we actually even put a freeze on the the staff and and how do we extract more money through? So I think we all kind of focused in the wrong direction. Having said that, just so for the record, in the 80s, I was a teenager. So Darren's talking about the 80s and 90s, but just so you know. Yes, yes, no, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm more setting a context from my yeah. own perspective because I certainly wasn't a teenager in the 80s. But anyway, yeah, enough it. water under the bridge. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so we find ourselves today in a situation where the relationship, and the reason I talk about remuneration is that I believe this has a big impact, but the relationship between advertisers and their media agency and media agencies and the media owners is actually possibly at the worst it's ever been. Do you think that's a fair statement? Uh, I think yes. I think it is a fair statement, Darren, that we have hit rock bottom in terms of the way we've all devalued each other in the business chain. And yet... If you look at um, business and how businesses grow, it's because of the publishing partners and the media partners they work with, and it's because of the smarts that they have at the media agencies that help them think about their business and how to position it in market. So I think that our focus has really hurt every single part of the the chain of the the business proposition from Mm. publisher through to the media agency and right through to the marketer as well. But do you think um, some of the commentary that we see in the industry is exaggerating some of the issues? Because, you know, if you read the headlines of the trade media, you know, it's all doom and gloom and no one can be trusted and every client's bringing media in-house because they don't see their agencies offering value. And yet the reality is we're not really seeing that, are we? I mean, you know, certainly accounts are moving around and people call it a media palooza. But they're really just largely moving the businesses from one agency to the next, aren't they? Yeah, I think, you know, the the media, the news headlines are always the beat up. They're always, you know, let's make this a scary situation. Let's get everyone panicking. And um, as, as part of, you know, some businesses may panic around that. At the same time, other businesses are getting on with it, but they're, they're still trying to find their way. And I think, um, interestingly enough, from my perspective and what I tell a lot of the, the team that I work with is, 
people need great media people more than ever before. The landscape is so much more confusing than it was even just five years ago. Mm. And you really need to actually take a client and step them through how to deliver great success for their business. So the the marketers need media people more than ever before. I was on a panel sitting next to the head of marketing for Airbnb and he said he needs a marketer who understands SEO, who understands SEM and understands things that a media person actually understands. So they do they do need that support more than ever before. They just need to find people that they feel that they can trust and, and have those um kind of discussions around their business and really hope that that person is actually going to help them unlock the opportunity. So I think that's where the fear-mongering is, is hurting the industry. Because mm. it's interesting, um, the price sensitivity still seems to be in the marketplace. You know, we still hear about uh, big uh, pitches that are being decided on, you know, guaranteed discounts in media or people cutting their fees. Do you think we've hit rock bottom? Or is this, you know, people still seem to be driving down the price? Uh, I think there's not really much more to be had, you know, rock bottom. I mean, I know some agencies on the top line are offering 2 to 3%. Mm. And some agencies are actually paying to work for the client, it would seem, on the top level. And so... Well, we have seen agencies offer to do the business for free. You know, and, and we've always advised our client that you only get what you pay for. Uh, but the counter to that is, oh, look, they'll just get paid by the media owners anyway, which is a cynical response because of this constant downward pressure and the competitive nature of the industry. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is interesting that, you know, that you're, you're hearing that from, from clients. And absolutely, I think that, you know, there is a, a complacency around clients going, well, we don't want to unlock the hornet's nest. We don't want to look under the, the bonnet as such. We'll just let them do it for free or they can get paid in another way. Um, I had a conversation with a client where we were talking about their, their digital buy and they said, look, as long as we hit this cost per acquisition level, we don't really care. Mm. But when you look under the bonnet, you realise that they could actually still be um, hitting a cost per acquisition that's a third of the price that what they're really getting. And that means that the cheap fees sitting on top of that um, that agency are actually not cheap at all. They're no. incredibly expensive. And so I think that clients don't really want to look under the bonnet and unlock a hornet's nest, but equally it's hurting their business. Mm. So it's a, it's, a real, it's a real challenge to get the fair value, fair price for a fair day's work. Well, part of the issue is to actually be with a client that measures that return on media investment or return on marketing investment. And, and there are a lot of clients that really struggle with that for any number of reasons. You know, so for them to enter into measuring value as far as the what the media returns, so their default mechanism is to just buy on price, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, because they don't have anything to anchor or to benchmark against so that is a challenge for them and yet you know if you if they did a parallel buy you know mm. if they had someone do a parallel buy quite cleanly um, they could actually really see what is the real benchmark without having to unlock the hornet's nest they yeah. could choose well let me just do a, a little test market in Adelaide in a smaller market where I can compare it to what's being bought now 
and let's see if you know it's if there's parity or not and if there is parity fantastic they're working with a great agency partner and if there isn't then they can start to really understand how they can drive value for their business because if there are clients that are un- unlocking um, the bo- un- looking under the bonnet and they're really understanding what price they should be paying and they're competitors of that marketer well they're going to outperform that marketer's business every day of the week and then that will become an ongoing knock-on challenge for their business long term mm. if they don't really understand what they're buying and how they're buying and what the rates should be then they're allowing their competitors to actually drive greater performance and success yeah, and getting left behind in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the issues is uh, there's a lot of talk in the the uh, media, the trade media, around programmatic. You know, and and we've had clients say to us things like, "Oh, programmatic's uh, you know not as uh, doesn't deliver the results, and oh, it's an op- you know huge waste of money and things like that." And yet we're seeing the investment in programmatic increasing all the time. Um, do you think, what, what's the role of programmatic from your perspective? Yeah, I think uh, the role of programmatic is very much um, a tangible role within a business and that is you can truly see what type of communication is working in real time with customers. So programmatic is a technology that serves advertising at, you know, in milliseconds. And what that can do is target the right type of interest of better customers making. For example, you know, um, if they were buying a type of car and they were in the, the market for an SUV car, you know, you can know straight away that they're interested. And if you are an SUV, you know, mm. uh, mobile or creator, then you can serve content in real time that actually talks to that person who's actually in, in And the see interest. if they respond. Yeah, and they're in the interest phase. So um, programmatic is such a powerful technology in that respect. That's why the spend is growing. And what's tangible about those sorts of results is you can take those back to your business and say, you know, we served this programmatic um, messaging and it actually increased our click-throughs, our sales by yeah. X percent. So, so you're talking about getting results from programmatic, but we've actually know of clients that still measure results on programmatic by number of impressions. You know, they're still using very traditional metrics around that, which is actually quite flawed, isn't it? So number of impressions. I mean, do you really know that someone's actually sitting there at the on their website seeing that ad or have they gone up to make make themselves a cup of tea or did it even load or did it only load you know sort of 10 percent of the ad or did it load below the um screen or the fold yeah that a fold is a very print mentality but we use it for uh tech uh, you know for computers and things yeah or is it a bot you know is it even a real person i mean when all of that came out a few years ago I'm sure there must have been some marketers sitting there going, oh, my God, because there were estimates of 50% or more of your uh, programmatic spend not actually being seen by a real person. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, you know, when that all came out and we started to track, you know, using, you know, third-party auditors like IAB and Moat to actually track the advertising, what we found is that only 30% of our ads were firing in this market. So it was genuinely a a concern. And so before that time, we all just thought that those ads were, were firing. So measuring our impressions became absolutely a minefield at that point. Um, and, you know, everyone's had to smarten up in terms of the way that they're actually delivering advertising on their websites now. 
Um, and that has improved significantly. But certainly impressions is a, a very archaic, I guess, way of, of measuring results in this in this age. Especially if you can measure results, you know, actually yeah. measure a return on investment. Yeah, absolutely. And it, especially if you can serve different messages as well that actually, um, in, a, in a different sequential order, that actually show you what type of content is working better with customers. So... You know, it's incredibly, it's incredibly valuable, the information and the type of audience that's actually, you know, kind of responding to your advertising if you start to really use the technology well mm. and make sure that the partners who are using the technology are using it well. So, so here's an issue. I mean, there's disclosed and non-disclosed, right? Pro- we're yeah. programmatic or not, there's yeah. disclosed or non-disclosed. Yeah. The interesting thing from my perspective is talking to agencies that offer programmatic, some of them report that when they put it this way, we can do disclosed, which tells you exactly what you know, markups, commissions and things are, and, uh, and, and fully transparent, whatever that means, or non-disclosed, and, but we can't really guarantee that you'll get the lowest possible price, or non-disclosed, which is, you know, we may have to do some things to get you the very best price in market, but we can't tell you how we did it. They say the majority of clients still go for non-disclosed. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think that clients go for non-disclosed because it just sounds easier. And it just sounds like, you know, they don't really want to have to dig and un- unlock, you know, and, and potentially have to explain to their business that they're paying high fees for yeah. that work done. Um, however, there's a really, really good reason why it is undisclosed. Yeah, we and, all know why. <laughs> absolutely. But I think it's just the ease. You know, clients yeah. are busy. They have less people in their marketing teams than they ever did before. And it's just easier. So I don't want to know about it. Yeah. Don't tell me and I don't have to deal with that's it. That's right. As long as it works. Yeah. As long and as you're it guaranteeing works. me the lowest price. Yes, that's right. Even though you'll people never may know. never see it. Yeah, you'll never know what the lowest price is because it's undisclosed. Well, I won't know until someone reports that my ad was served against something from a terrorist organisation or you know, uh, pedophiles or yeah, whatever it is. Exactly. So. That's it. But so, you know, undisclosed means easy but it's probably not the right decision for a business, you know, in this in this competitive landscape. Yeah, well, if you're buying on lowest possible price, then you have to take the risks associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. And the risk might be that's not lowest possible price. It might be a 50% markup. Mm. So just to change direction, you have you founded an independent media agency. Yes. Okay. Uh, how long ago was that? Uh, that was in 2004, so, okay. yeah. so 14 years. 14 years ago. Yeah. So uh, I'd have to say you're ahead of a trend that we're only just noticing now um, because suddenly there's like a whole lot of independent media agencies popping up like little mushrooms after the rain. Um, <laughs> so what do you think's driving that? Uh, I think, you know... Uh, when it rains and the mushrooms grow, the sun comes out and we all get to benefit from the sunshine. So I think what's driving it is the fact that um, they are senior people who have generally worked in global agencies who Mm -hmm. know that they can really add tangible value to a client's business. And the fact is that this day and age where technology is available to everyone, large and small, they can access technology, help clients to understand uh, insights around customers, um, unlock different data sets, and really help those customers in a way 
that they haven't been able to access before. And you don't need all the high costs, all the high margins of a big global agency group funding a lot of people um, and a lot of expensive salaries. And so I think what's driving it is that there's an opportunity for smart people to actually help clients in a new modern world of technology and media merging to really unlock opportunity for clients without... So technology's provided the opportunity to level that playing field because it wasn't that long ago, you know, everyone was being told bigger is better, which is why everyone was caught up with the RECMA report of how many millions, billions, trillions of dollars was under management because somehow the more money that you had as an agency to spend, the, the cheaper the price. Yeah, absolutely. So And now it's not really about how much money you have to spend, it's how can technology help you use biddable media to unlock the best price with the best data overlays and the best insight around your customers. So it's a real shift from where we were probably even five to 10 years ago. And the technology partners, they don't mind who's using their technology. They're open to letting an independent or a one-man band right up to the big guys use the same technology to unlock and access the data. The more that they have on their books in terms of accessing the data, uh, the more money they're making. You know, yeah. so they they're allowing their technology to be used by the the masses. That's right. You know, the platform they've invested in building it. The more throughput there is through that platform, the better. Absolutely, because a lot of those technologies want to be sold to yeah. the likes of Google and you know whoever. Amazon, yeah, Amazon whoever yeah. will be. <laughs> so you know, the more that they could show mass, um, you know, broad reach of their technology, the more likely they are to get an amazing sale price. Because it's interesting. I mean, I think everyone that works in media would say that, you know, they're there f- for the good of their client, you know, that they put that first. Anyone working in a media agency, you know, would, have, would say, yes, I'm here to help my client. But, you know, the thing we find with independent agencies, both media and creative, is that there is still the thing about the the founder, the owner, has their name on the door and they're in the office. And there's a lot of clients increasingly sacrificing, in quotes, the big because they want that sort of intimacy, that connectedness, that accountability that they find with the independent agencies. I mean, you must find that with your own clients. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really interesting time in media where they want people who are business people to help them unlock business problems. So it's not so much about doing a media plan and buy anymore. It's about these are my problems and the world's changing at a million light years and how do I get help with the decisions we're making, whether it's what tech do I bring into my own business to what media and how should we communicate and who should we communicate with. So uh, it's an interesting time in, in media, but it's it's a great time to be a, a business owner to help other business owners um, unlock opportunities. And so, you know, for us, um, what we're, we're doing is we're putting on more senior people in the business and because in big agencies, naturally, you, you can't all work, you know, small, medium-sized clients can't work with the senior people in those businesses. Mm. They might see them once or twice a year. And so we're finding that's a real opportunity if, if business people want to work with other business yeah, people. Yeah, you've got 5% of them on the retainer. Yeah, you know. that's right. Or no percent, because yeah. you have the clients that go, no, I don't want to pay for the CEO or the MD, because the only time I ever see them is when something goes wrong. Absolutely. That's or they're right. asking for an increase in their fee. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I did, and I did destroy, I asked a, a CEO of a global agency once, how often do you see your, your clients? And they said, you know, 
the big clients once or twice a year. So mm. it's a very different story to being having less clients, working with senior people who see them every week and work with them every week to unlock opportunities. So, And you've got a vested interest. You don't mm. have the global agency. You don't have the big brand and the big salary comfortably sitting behind you. You've got to absolutely work for every dollar you make um, and, and prove yourself time and time again. And one of the areas that's highly competitive is attracting talent. Is that a key area for you in managing the culture or creating the culture of your agency? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. So attracting talent, I think, is is a real challenge for our industry as a whole. So there's a 6% gap in how many people we need and how many we can actually employ. There's always a 6% gap. Um, For our agency, what we're finding is that when people hit their 30s and they've got about 10 years experience under their belt, They've been through a lot of the big global agencies and they're starting to want to find a place where they feel connected mm-hmm. and that they can add value and that they're recognised for the value that they add to clients. So we're finding that when um, a lot of senior talent hit their 30s, they tend to naturally come into the, the independent agency world because it, it's a different proposition to working in the big globals. It's one of the things we've noticed when we look at resourcing, especially in big multinational agencies, is that they've flattened the structure. Mm. They take in a lot of juniors. Yes. And then it's almost like natural attrition because to move to the next level, they go from, you know, 100 to 20 roles and then to 10 and then to 2 and then to 1. You yeah. Know, and, that, and so there's this natural attrition process depending on the culture of the agency, will promote people with certain attributes. Now, it's not necessarily the people that are really good at what they do. It yeah. could be the people that are really good at you know, keeping clients on side or yes. whatever yeah. are the ones that get promoted. Are they the types of people that are really good at what they do, but they want to do that in a different environment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think also um, the the churn of the, the big agencies is a real challenge. So we're seeing right now 40% churn mm. in our industry. Industry That's churn, enormous. yeah. enormous. So clients who want to work with a team that are going to consistently be on their business and commit to their business Um, are really challenged when you've got 40% churn. And so, and what happens, the pressure on those, you know, talented people who are in those big global agencies to take up the slack Mm. of all the the people who are churning away beneath them is, is, means that they're working 12 hour days and Mm. they're not feeling the value for it or the recognition from businesses. So they get to a point in their life where they're going, we add value. We know we can add value to a client's business. We want to be in a place where we feel like we're being recognized and valued back. So Mm. it is interesting how that that shift from, you know, servicing a client and thinking about their business um, in a big agency, you know, kind of they feel like they're, they, it's unravelling you know, their, um, the support that they're getting. So they're just getting more clients, less support. Mm. And so they move over into, the, into a different type of agency shop, so to speak, where they can feel that they can add value without being absolutely hammered night and day. So from your positioning, uh, uh, your position running um, Highland Media, and your role with the MFA, on the board yep. of the MFA. What do you, would you say are the three biggest challenges that need to be addressed in the next, say, 12 months? Okay, well, that's an interesting question. In the next 12 months, the three biggest challenges 
I think the first one is uh, overall from an MFA or a media um, perspective is uh, explaining to clients again how we add value to their mm-hmm. businesses and, and tangibly being and able to show that. It. And proving that, absolutely. Um, I think the, the next challenge is how we keep, how we then restructure the fees and the way we work together with clients in a way that is transparent, adds value to the client, but also... Um, rewards the agency. Absolutely. rewards the talent in the agency mm. to stay because clients mm. don't want their talent to be gone in a year and have to rebrief a new set every single year. So I think it's a matter of how do we uh, bring marketers on that journey to mm-hmm. make sure that they also are investing in rewarding talent that they want to that they desire to stay on their business um, and the third one is filling that gap you know that that churn that that gap where we actually can't even fill the jobs in our industry to actually you know deliver the service level that we're supposed to um, excitingly you know we're actually launching a training program at, on the programmatic side in a couple of weeks where we're bringing in 10 new people from outside the agency, giving them real... This is Highland Media? Yeah, Highland, and giving them real skills um, and training them in programmatic skills and then actually then finding them jobs within the industry. Because you've you've got your own programmatic training desk that you've invested in, haven't you? That's right, exactly. So we have our own programmatic training desk and our consultants. So, you know, sometimes you have to, to help the industry, you have to just do it and get out there and do it yourself instead of complaining about it, whinging and whining and waiting for someone else to change it. So we've decided to launch our own training program for a very small nominal fee. Mm-hmm. Um, uni leavers can come in and actually get real hands-on training on campaigns in a programmatic space and then we'll help them find jobs within the industry because we know they exist. Yeah. So, you know, the best way to change the industry is actually to to build the industry. You Roll watch. up your sleeves and actually get out yeah, there and do it. Absolutely. So I think those are the, our three challenges in the next twelve months, mm. uh, and they cause the greatest headaches for our industry, the success of our industry, and the success of the marketers who work with us. I think um, because you know, I think those are, are very uh, admirable challenges. the The issue that we see is the ability for marketers to be able to sell internally the value of that investment. Because we see a lot of marketers are caught up in a situation where they can't justify investing more because they've not really been selling it back into the organisation on the basis of the value it delivers to the organisation. It's called a media budget for a reason or a marketing budget for a reason. It's an amount set for them to go and spend. But the first part is to actually help us get the marketers to think about it as an investment and then prove internally. Because you can be doing a great job delivering value, tangible value, but if they can't get that acknowledged internally, we're all in real trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the consultancies have started to um, play. They've recognised that uh, we're not probably communicating our value and the work that we do for marketers in a way that we should. And so there's been a real uh, opportunity for, you know, the big fours and uh, you know to mm. come in and actually create a consultancy role with the CEO and come down. So. Except, uh, if I remember rightly, Accenture, who came out and said they're going to get into the media mm. space, 
uh, said they're going to charge an hourly rate, mm. you know, which is a cons- you know, consulting rate, which is how media agencies typically or traditionally have charged. How does that put the focus back on value created when you're still paying for cost of inputs? I, I don't understand that. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting model that Accenture have come out with. And, I, you know, it's always the pendulum swing, isn't it? We swing hard one way. And then we go back. And so Accenture on an hourly rate, which is probably even higher really than a day rate or a week rate or a month rate from an agency, um, is really going to, it will show value. But I think what it it gives media agencies the opportunity is to fight back and show greater value for the fee that that they charge as well. So um, the fact that the consultancies have lifted their head above the sand, I think is a fantastic celebration for the agency landscape. So you don't see it as a threat? I see it as a short-term, you know, uh, change in the mm-hmm. way people will, will look at um, the way they work with um, agencies. Mm-hmm. But I do see it as this, that, that the pendulum swing will come all the way back when people realise that, hang on, agencies are charging us less and actually delivering more. And the reality is, um, within an agency, um, they have real hands-on experience day-to-day, living and breathing audiences, living and breathing results. So um, where consultancies potentially sit on the outside of that and have senior advisories, the people who are actually really living and breathing what's happening day to day are the ones who are are truly adding value and shifting um, the way that that media is bought and planned and the type of message that should be in each channel. So short term threat, yes, but also uh, opportunity, I think, as well, in terms of the future is bright because we'll be able to prove quite competently that we know what we're talking about. <laughs> Let's hope so <laughs> for the sake of the industry. Yes. You know, I think uh, if I hope, as you say, that's hit rock bottom um, because we need to move the focus away from cost to really starting to frame this as a discussion around investment in businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And adding value. How do we add value to those businesses? Oh, well, that'd be Black Thunders, wouldn't it? For free (laughs) or, uh, you know, first in break. Or isn't that the traditional media adding value in quotes? That might be the old way of adding value. But now it's in the e-com platforms. It's how we get those customers yeah, to actually that's right. buy more and stuff. It's results. <laughs> exactly. It's return. You know, we need to move to the point of getting return on investment and being a, being willing, both marketer and agency, to be accountable to it. Absolutely, and it should become more of a partnership than a right. supply chain. Mm. Well, you know, some of the best uh, relationships are actually where you work hand in glove to be accountable to delivering results for the business. Yeah, absolutely. And they're the most valuable relationships that you can have and the ones that, you know, fuel you every morning to get out of bed to go, how are we going to shift the dial today? Mm. How are we going to knock your competitor off the perch? And so the more we shift back into that gear instead of, okay, we've got to jam 10 clients into this one person to look after because they're not, you know, paying for us properly, um, the quicker we'll actually drive success and we'll be able to add value more than a black thunder for free. Mm. (laughs) Well, Virginia, thanks for uh, making the time to sit down and have a chat. Thank you, Darren. It's been a pleasure. But before we finish, um, you know, there's a lot of talk around uh, rebates and that. So which media owner gives the best rebate? (laughs) 